Slump Buster Podcast. The Slump Buster Podcast. The first quarter starts now. What the fuck are we doing in Indianapolis right now? <laughs> Today was the most shocking day, I think, in NFL history as the Indianapolis Colts not only fired the head coach, because you know, you know, could defend firing a head coach when your team starts as bad as the Colts did, but they hired checks notes, Jeff Saturday, Hall of Fame offensive lineman, sure, but ultimately an ESPN analyst as their interim head coach slides in a guy that a week ago was tweeting about the Raiders, not even as someone, a part of a coaching staff, Jeff Saturday, whose last head coaching spot was for a high school team, not a good high school team, a high school team that went three and seven. What are the Colts doing? I can't explain it. I don't know what's going on. Someone please help me. Indianapolis Colts fans sound off. I, I need to understand because I, I need someone to explain this like I'm a kindergartner because it's clear that kindergartners are running this organization at this point. Okay, so so let me take a stab at it here. As we have mentioned in previous videos, I believe the one where Sam Ellinger was named the starting quarterback and I got to, to get all my jokes off about that. The, the Indianapolis Colts have the 32nd ranked offense in the NFL. Uh, that is still the case after this weekend because the Colts put up 40 passing yards, 120 total yards of offense. The Indianapolis Colts went 0 for 14 on third downs. They got sacked nine times. And by the way, should have had zero points, but they ended up with three. So if you want to know who the five worst offenses in the NFL this season are currently, according to DVOA, Football Outsiders statistic that takes game situation into account, the worst five offenses in the NFL are the Colts, the Panthers, the Houston Texans, the Denver Broncos, and the Arizona Cardinals. Who are the five teams who are going to fire their head coach or have already fired their head coach? The Colts, Panthers, Texans, the Broncos, and the Cardinals. So if you want to know why Frank Reich got fired, it's kind of as simple as if you have a the worst offense in the NFL, regardless of circumstances, you're probably going to get fired. Frank Reich had been there for five years. He probably wasn't going to come back. When you have these terrible offenses, you're probably going to get fired at some point. Uh, in terms of the Jeff Saturday one, I will say this, as long as Jeff Saturday is not in consideration at all for the future head coaching positioning. If we operate under the assumption that he has no chance of getting the head coaching position for the Indianapolis Colts after this season, then it doesn't matter who the fuck you hire. You could hire anyone and it doesn't matter. You are punting yeah. on this season and it doesn't fucking matter who you hire as head coach. I think it's incredibly funny that they just went and hired like organizational guy to just be the head coach out of doing a solid Jim Ursay. Doesn't matter. As long as you fire your coach, your season's over. This isn't baseball where Rob Thompson gets a hundred games to figure out his team. This isn't hockey where Craig Berube can take over the blues and win a Stanley cup. No, it's football. Once you fire your coach, your season's over. Some bullshit has really had to go wrong for you to fire your coach. Everyone <laughs> might point to Rich Basaccia last year. Rich Basaccia is the first. He's the first interim coach to ever make a playoff game in the history of the NFL. When you fire your coach, shit has hit the fan and the season's over. And as long as Jeff Saturday is not a nepotism possibility to get that job, 
doesn't matter who you hire because they're just trying to get a top draft pick. And I think it's incredibly funny that they hired him. Now, I will operate on under the assumption that this interim tag is truly an interim tag and Jeff Saturday will not be the Indianapolis head coach next year. However, there is a slight possibility, a slight open door that the Colts actually respond to whatever coaching happens in that building and do make a turnaround. I do have to open the door for that possibility, not bank on it. If you told me I had all my money, all my life savings to bet on the Indianapolis Colts making a miraculous turnaround, all of the Philadelphia Phillies after firing (laughs) Joe Girardi and making the playoffs, I would be a fool to take that gamble. And I, I think this quote really says it all. Jeff Saturday himself. Why am I a candidate for this? Like, what? Okay, so you mentioned the offense. They're still trying to figure out whatever they're doing with Sam Ellinger. And if you're going to fire Frank Reich, I guess the perfect case is I have an offensive-minded head coach whose offense sucks. You know me. I've said for the last couple years, Brandon Staley is a defensive-minded head coach. His defense sucks. What do you do around here? What do you bring to this team? <laughs> Frank Reich, if your offense is sucking, if you can't figure it out at the quarterback position and you've tried to evaluate yourself, you told Jim Mersey a couple of years ago, trade for Carson Wentz, then you do have your share, your onus and responsibility. I guess the question is next week, are we waiting for the Chris Ballard shoe to drop? Are we waiting no, for the next? actually, because at his office? press conference this evening, Jim Mersey said Chris Ballard will be the GM in 2023. Does that mean anything? Absolutely not, because he no. could fire him tomorrow. But <laughs> I, I don't know if this about. is true. I should clarify this. I don't know if this is true, but reportedly, Jim Ursay has fired someone every week that a game has been played since NFL week 18, of course, the famous loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> that led to the Colts not making last year's postseason. If that is true, then that tells you Chris Beller, he may have said that in the press conference, but is his word golden? No, I, I was I was making a joke. Like, what is he going to do at a press conference where Chris Ballard's sitting 10 feet away from him? He's going to be like, yeah, you know what? We're going to fire this guy next. What? I mean, come on. Of course, he's going to say Ballard's going to be our GM going I think what this move forward. shows is kind of the fickleness of Jim Irsay. And Jim Irsay, for the most part, hasn't been criticized as much as other NFL owners. I feel like he kind of flies under the radar in that bubble of Indianapolis that he lives in. <laughs> But the other, is he oh. the most meddlesome owner or has he started to take the top spot for most meddlesome owners in the league? When you consider the quarterback swaps every single year, the last five years, I mentioned the stat of him paying 12 different quarterbacks, going back to Andrew Luck, uh, $140 million, I believe. I think that's kind of tells you something about the ownership having somewhat of a hair trigger temper. And we've seen times in history, in sports history, where that's worked out for the better. We talked about like a George Steinbrenner had moments where he would just fire his head coaches on a whim and then rehire them the next day. But Jim Ursay seems to be on another level right now if he's just saying, you're not getting it done, bye. You're not getting it done, bye. You're not getting it done, bye. We'll bring in Matt Ryan or Carson Wentz or Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield or rotate through the next guy or get a rookie or whatever they do. And I know that the Colts coming into the year, the reasons for optimism were there. They play in a bad division. They have Jonathan Taylor, the best running back in the league. They have this offensive line, Matt Ryan. We knew that he was declining, but could he be better than last year's version of Carson Wentz, the offensive skill weapons to get a dynamic 
Speedster and Alec Pierce. You have Michael Pittman, the big target. The defense, Iberflus uh, is gone, long gone. He's now in Chicago. He's actually turning around that team somewhat. Uh, but the defense was the, really the selling point. Kind of still is the selling point of this team at the moment. They've been good, but not that good. They've been <laughs> it's hard okay. to sell 32nd ranked offense. It's hard to sell 32nd ranked offense to anyone at this yeah, point. Yeah, you're not exactly bringing that to your season ticket holders and saying, so we have a lot of great things going on for us. We have Shaq Leonard. And um, I, th- oh, I thought his name was Darius. No, it's Shaq Leonard. Anyway, we have Shaq Leonard, and our offense is quarterbacked by. Sorry, I've got to move through. Our <laughs> offense is quarterbacked by Teddy Bridgewater. No? Okay. <laughs> that would be great if they did that. Um, no, they're they're in they're in blow for Bryce territory. They they want to be bad so they can get Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or Will Levis or whoever at the fourth guy is. At least this point. we will know that if they do draft a young guy, we'll see that young guy for in theory at least three years, right? We'll yeah. at least know three years of security at that job. There are worse places to go for a rookie quarterback. If, if you're looking at who's at the top of the draft, there are worse places to go than Indianapolis at this well, point. Because all obviously going to be dependent on who that next head coach is, too. We don't know who that would be. Uh, we talked about the Raiders, their head coaching spot in the last video we did. Um, but I, I looked at the Colts and I asked myself in terms of them being a desirable place to go. You know, if you're a head coach, you're a coaching candidate this offseason, obviously going to the Colts, you would have the opportunity to select your guy which is a luxury that a lot of head coaches when they end up in a spot don't really have to do but is that enough of a selling point is Jonathan Taylor enough of a selling point for a head coach to say sign me up for Indianapolis and yeah I guess you know hey they gave Frank Wright five years right so it's not like they're the type of ownership group that just cycles through coaches so at least they're not like the 49ers were in the mid-2010s when they said Tom Sula, gone. Chip Kelly, gone. On to Shanahan, right? Yeah. And I guess they're okay in that respect. To your point with uh, Ursay earlier, just circling back to that, I think part of the reason that uh, we're not quick to criticize Ursay is because Ursay is one of the few good guys that are in that ownership room. Like, if you look at some of his political donations, he's more often on the right side of history than a lot of these uh, owners in the NFL. He's one of these people who's like preparing to like turn the team over to his daughters and have them run the team. And he's like been prepping them for years in that way. He's the guy who employed Tony Dungy and Jim Caldwell back to back. So that's part of the the reason that Ursay is generally a, a positive on the other side of also being meddlesome. And he also was the guy who came out was like, hey, we don't really like Dan Snyder anymore. So, like, can we kind of get him out? He was like the the guy on the right. He's one of the few good yeah, people but, okay. relative like, to building that, up but... equity with your politics doesn't really make you a better football owner. No, but that's that's part of it is like you have so few allies in that billionaires club and he's at least kind of an ally in that respect. I'm not giving him total credit, but he's at least a relatively speaking an ally. The the other side of the, the coin with the Colts is like, I mean, they can attract somebody. It's just about hiring the right person. And that requires interviewing eight to 10 candidates, sitting them down, talking about it and giving them and either Ballard or whoever the next GM is like personnel decision-making, including the possibility of trading up to get a quarterback. If that's the situation they find themselves. in. I guess I just don't look at them as a splash higher destination because I don't look at them and say, Sean Payton's going to sign himself up for that job. Uh, Jim no, Harbaugh, you know, another 
name that's going to float around there, especially because of his ties to the Colts organization. Um, I don't see him taking that job. You know, so now it's like, okay, we're going to take a chance on a first time around head coach. And you never know what you're going to get in that. It's the ultimate no. Forrest Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates because sometimes you get Sean McVay. Sometimes you get uh, Vance Joseph. You don't know what's oh, on they, the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. It's, it's just, we don't know. That's the interesting part about it. We don't know what it's going to look like, but they're going to have a chance to develop. And, and like you said, having Jonathan Taylor, Quentin Nelson and Shaq Leonard, which is three of the best players at their position in the entire NFL. Like if we not number think, one, they're number two. We like, think that's not part terrible. of the problem with the Colts too, is we based the expectations for this year's Colts team off of last year's Colts team. And the results were not the same. The offensive line was not the same offensive line that was advertised and sold to Matt Ryan. Jonathan Taylor, well, I do think the ability is still there. His season has been hampered by injuries. So I don't know if Jonathan Taylor is going to continue to be the back that he was in the 2021 season. Obviously, every fantasy owner in America is hoping that's not the case, but it, it can happen quick at the running back position, as we know. Uh, since we're coming up on the end of this video, there were some other funny jokes I wanted to get off here real quick about the Colts. Number one, they personally embarrassed Matt Ryan. Like they went out of their way to say, this guy is hurt, but we're not only going to announce this is a benching. We're also going to say he can't get his job back. Despite the fact they didn't save any money by doing that. They're still guaranteeing him $40 million for the next two years, no matter what. Number two, they fired Marcus Brady on Tuesday of last week and then fired Frank Reich on Monday of this week. And number three, all of this conversation about who the interim coach is going to be helped me learn today the best and most funniest part of all of this, even funnier than Jeff Saturday being the head, the new head coach of the Colts, which is, did y'all know John Fox is a coach on the Colts and not right. just not just like he's not even a coordinator he's not even a line he's just a dude on the coaching staff like john fox who went to a super bowl 20 years ago and 10 years ago is just a dude coaching on the colts like i just couldn't believe that when i saw that today yeah that i, I think is obviously too making everyone scratch their heads about the hire itself about jeff saturday it's like you literally have Gus Bradley and John Fox, both guys who've been head coaches. John Fox but, uh, at a higher level. You know, John Fox, well, you mentioned the Super Bowl runs. At least say what you want about yeah. him. There's he was a head coach ceiling, five but... years ago, but I just assumed John Fox was in the Jeff Fisher purgatory of like, no one's ever going to hire him again because he's clearly I, I like 10 years past his prime. I understood that about John Fox, but you know, that's a, another discussion. Uh, he wasn't able to turn around the Bears, but... Come on, so since the 80s. But he hasn't had a coaching job in five years. And then I found out today, oh, yeah, by the way, he's just a dude on the Colts coaching yeah. staff. He's a defensive analyst. I'm just like, what? Why are you no. doing that job? You've been a head coach for 17 years. You've made millions and millions of dollars. Why are you doing that? For Less who? Stress. For what? Less stress, <laughs> I imagine. I don't know. I don't know how to explain the Colts. I I'm going to end it the same way I started this video. What the fuck? <laughs> These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now. I can't believe it. For the third time this season, the Raiders have given up a 17-point lead in a game, this time to the Jacksonville Jaguars, a two-win team that some would argue is better than their record displays, but at the same time, the Raiders should be better than their record displays, and they have been miserable this season. And there was a lot of expectations coming in. 
you sign Chandler Jones, you trade for Devontae Adams, you bring in Josh McDaniels, one of the most talented offensive minds in football, one of the most well-respected offensive minds in football, and you're getting this result to a six. They're not even close to the playoffs. That should never be even a discussion this season from this point moving forward. They go against the slowly Colts team next. Obviously, they have their own set of issues, but the Raiders, they have a whole mess of them. And I, I, I don't know what their next move should be. Actually, scratch. I know what their next move should be. Get rid of McDaniels. It's clear this experiment is not working, and I think it's time to go in a different direction. I know we've kind of debated if that's the right move for them, if it's a talent problem, if it's a roster problem. You want to kind of like tell the people what you're thinking about this whole Las Vegas mess? Yes. I'm glad that you articulated that because yesterday you were bringing, when we were in our uh, group chat, you were bringing that energy on McDaniels needs to go. And I am of the opinion that I could defend either decision for the Raiders. You could fire McDaniels or you could keep McDaniels. And I think that is defensible both ways. And in order to bring up the point that I believe it would be misguided to assume that McDaniel being the fall guy would be correct. Uh, I have brought some nerd stats to the table today. I, I'm, I have done my research extensively and I'm bringing the nerd stats to to this conversation here. So um, pro football reference, which is like basketball reference, but pro football reference, uh, they have a statistic and ESPN carries a similar statistic as well that is uh, expected win loss record. So based on game situation, based on the amount of yards they convert per play and plays per quarter and stuff, they can figure out what the projected win total of teams will be. And it's derived from an algorithm that Bill James created for baseball. He's the money ball guy. And he it's basically like points scored squared divided by points scored plus points allowed squared divided by some other stuff. But basically it gives you an expected win loss record. Last year's Raiders team had a, an expected win loss record of 6.9 and 10.1 which means on paper and based on expected outcomes, the Raiders were a seven-win team last season that happened to win 10 games and make the playoffs, despite the fact that they should have been expected to win seven games. Last year's Raiders team finished the season with 21.9 points per game on offense and finished with my favorite statistic, DVOA, 19th in the NFL in offensive DVOA. This year's Raiders team has so far this year an expected win-loss record, according to Pro Football Reference, of 3.6 and 4.4, which means that they have been incredibly unlucky so far this season. And from the same statistics we're talking about, the Raiders this year have scored 22.8 points per game, which is 0.9 points per game more than last year's team. And their DVOA rankings so far this season, 18th in the NFL. 19th to 18th is the difference. The Raiders are the exact same offense this year as last year. And you can point to, well, they added Devontae Adams. Shouldn't they be better? Yes. They have also not had Renfro and Waller for five games. That's another circumstance involved. But basically, the Raiders are the exact same offense, if not a little bit better this year than last year. If you want to go to defense in terms of points allowed, they were 26th in the league last year. They're 28th in the league this year. The Raiders are exactly the same team. And it's not that the Raiders are better or worse or whatever it is. It was they were incredibly lucky last season and incredibly unlucky this season. And that is the difference between the Raiders. They are the exact same team this year as they were last year statistically. 
Therefore, I think the problem is more roster-based than it is McDaniels being a good or bad coach. At the same time, they're a pretty average team, so if you want to fire McDaniels, whatever. It's not like he's a special coach anyways. The evidence suggests that this is not his fault. They are exactly the same team this year as last year. You could say, well, they added Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones. Shouldn't they be better on offense and defense? And I would say yes, but in the grand scheme of things, they are not, and the Raiders are basically the exact same team as last year, which is like a 7-10 and 10 team. Okay, Kyle, I have one question about all those statistics you threw at me. What gets you into the playoffs, actual wins or expected wins? I think that that is not important when evaluating the quality of your head coach. It is 100% important, and I will tell you the most important stat when it comes to evaluating your head coach, have they blown three historic leads <laughs> in one year. I have had an organization for 50 plus years and only had that happen five times. And you allowed it to happen three times under your command. And you could say McDaniels doesn't call the defense, but he does because he's the head coach. Now he's not the offensive coordinator. He is responsible for the entire team. And even if it comes down to, he's not hiring the right people. Well, that's a head coaching problem. If you're not hiring the right people, if you're not bringing the right people into the building, if you're evaluating players wrong, that's not just on the GM. That's not just on the defensive coordinator. That's on you. And that's part of the responsibility you assume when you become a head coach. And that tells me that not one damn thing has changed from McDaniels in Denver to McDaniels in Las Vegas. They're the same guy, just 10 years difference, 10 years of just staying the same head coach. You would think that he would have grew in his time in New England, but honestly, he hasn't. And we ask questions all the time since Tom Brady left to Tampa about Bill Belichick and is he still recognized as the greatest of all time coach? Uh, when we look at McDaniel's resume as an offensive coordinator, now we have to question how much of that is fueled by, oh, I don't know, having the greatest of all time quarterback under center for you for multiple years. And we saw last year, we got to see the first iteration of Mac Jones with McDaniels, it wasn't great. It wasn't anything special. We all recognized that New England wasn't that special. We go back to 2019 when the offensive weapons didn't really work out for Tom Brady over there and fueled his desire to leave to another destination. Or 2020, when we had the Cam Newton year and McDaniels and company had to work through that, it showed that the offense of coordinating was fine, but it wasn't spectacular. It wasn't what everyone raises and gets on their knees and talks about when they talk about Josh McDaniels, this savior franchise is the savior of offense, Josh McDaniels, because that's kind of how he was built. And that's why fans and media pundits alike had expectations for this Raiders team. My thing in the offseason was telling you they just can't get worse. Record-wise, they just can't get worse because you added those pieces. You threw it as a throwaway, but you added two Hall of Fame pieces in Jones and Devontae Adams to a roster that even if they were expected to get seven wins, bottom line is they got 10 wins with an interim head coach in one of the most dramatic years in NFL history. They literally had their former first round pick kill a person while their former head coach had a scandal unseen like anything in the history of the entire National Football League. And still that team managed to finish with 10 wins. This year's team has none of that, none of that. And they are struggling to beat the dregs of the league, struggling to beat Jacksonville, having a 20-point lead against Kyler Murray. And we'll get to Arizona at some point in our conversations. Give up a 20-point lead to them. 
And they have the talent. It's clear. They have the talent because Rich Vespaccio and Greg Olson, the guys who were in the building last year, we don't think much of them, but they were able to motivate that team. And the players loved those guys. And they responded to those guys, which is half your job as a head coach. If you can get guys to respond to you, and it's clear, at least in the second half of games, people aren't responding to Josh McDaniels. He's not adjusting to the other team's adjustments, which is an indictment because if you're unable to counterpunch, then you'll never be able to counterpunch. I just don't see McDaniels getting better <laughs> from this point to next year. So I would say don't double down in your mistakes. Don't believe in the sunk cost theory. Get rid of him. Get him out the door because... I don't know who's on the other side. I can tell you that McDaniels isn't the answer if you're going to want to win a Super Bowl. And believe it or not, the Raiders, like any other franchise in the National Football League, do have aspirations of one day winning a Super Bowl. I can tell you, you're not going to do it with Josh McDaniels. You might not be able to do it with this ownership group, but you're not going to do it with Josh McDaniels. That's one thing uh, I can He said the Raiders in the Super Bowl. <laughs> he said the Raiders hey, in the Super Bowl. They have three to their name under Mark's dad. They can do it. It's been done before. Lesser organizations have done it. Jacksonville was in an AFC championship game a few years ago. And you're going to tell me the let's, Raiders. Let's start hit. with a playoff victory. Like the Raiders haven't won a playoff game in 20 years. Well, that's kind of more of the point. Is McDaniels the guy that's going to give them that playoff victory? I don't see it. I don't see him as that type of coach because first off, I don't even know if you can get a team to the playoffs now. It took a Tim Tebow, holy roller miracle season to get him a playoff victory in his career. That I just don't think we'll ever see anything quite like Tebow mania in its prime. And unless Derek Carr is going to start going to church on Sundays before the games, I don't think that that's going to lead to the turnaround. It's funny that you mentioned that Derek Carr actually is one of these super religious people. Just uh, he does it very quietly relative to Tim Tebow being very publicly kneeling in the end zone guy. But Derek Carr is a big religion nut. This is the part where I will say I can defend firing McDaniel. The argument for firing McDaniel is that you shouldn't have hired him in the first place. That's the argument that you could make for firing McDaniel, which I can get behind that. Like, he wasn't like a super special guy who was available. I think we were all a little bit surprised when he got the Raiders job just because we thought he was going to stay in New England forever at this point. But the argument for firing him is he shouldn't have hired him in the first place, but I can get behind that. The bigger problem for the Raiders is talent. They don't have enough talent to be a playoff caliber team. They tried their best this offseason. I know you mentioned Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones. The Chandler Jones signing just chalked that up as a big old L. Like Chandler Jones this year has like, five tackles, zero point. He has a half sack on the season. Like just chalk that one up as a big old L. We we shot for the moon. We missed. We traded Unique and Gawkway for Rakasin just to clear a spot for See, him. That's just an L on our part. And that's another thing. I know the Chandler Jones has struggled, mightily struggled in his first year with Las Vegas. But Chandler Jones is a guy that has been on bad teams before and has always been able to come through and be a double digit sack guy. Is he really just falling off a cliff or are coaches not putting him in a position to succeed? I know Max Crosby is obviously doing great. Chandler Jones, I just don't think that he dramatically became that much worse of a player. And again, that's just like, that's good. You put that on the defensive coordinator, but who hired that defensive coordinator? Just to go over something that I mentioned earlier, the sunk cost fallacy describes tendencies to fall through on an endeavor if you've already invested time, effort, or money into it. I don't think that the Raiders should 
even though they've invested time, effort, and money into this. Honestly, if Mark Davis had his way, he would still have John Gruden as head coach, and we wouldn't be having this discussion. We'd still be in the middle of that 10-year mistake that he made in the first place. But <laughs> I, Seems I, to be a theme here. Seems to be a theme of, uh, of mistakes made by Mark Davis. <laughs> I understand why you go after McDaniels. You, you said we were surprised by it. I think I was most surprised because I didn't think that McDaniels would have left New England because – you mentioned we just thought that he was just going to end up eventually as the head coach there. Eventually Bill's going to move on and that's just going to be McDaniel's job to inherit because it's just a family business at that point, Patriot way. I thought when he went to another team, it was going to be because he obviously believed that that team had enough talent to make sure that his second run as an NFL head coach went a lot smoother than the first. And I think the Raiders are talented. Again, I think the biggest point of difference here is I think the Raiders are talented. I think that, if you're able to get that level of performance you got with Rich Vespaccia as your head coach, then you should be able to do it with a guy that was getting praised, gets annually praised as one of the best offensive minds in football. And I'm not even seeing that result. See, I think because I set the expectation much lower on the Raiders, it's not as surprising to me seeing the results. I thought the Raiders and Broncos would be like very clearly fighting for the seventh playoff spot in the AFC. And I thought the Raiders would be a little bit better, but as the the pro football focus expected win-loss record shows, the Raiders have just been really unlucky this year, but you don't need that stat to know that. They blew three 17-point leads. Those are usually games that teams win, but they happen to have lost all of them. So like they're unlucky this year and they were lucky last year. Look at how close the margins of difference are in the NFL. Statistically, The Raiders are exactly the same team this year as last year. They might even be a little bit better on offense this year. But when you get lucky in one possession games, you get the five seed. And when you're unlucky in one possession games with the exact same team, you're like the 13th best team in the NFL. Think about how small the margins are in the NFL when we're talking about that. Yeah. You know, I want to think about this too, how quickly this can really blow up because If they do get rid of Josh McDaniels, which I think is the right move to do, I think that just get someone else in the building, anyone better. I I just don't think that Josh McDaniels is a good head coach. And I think that you got to just try something else because I don't think he's going to get better as a coach. Then you look at the next possible move that can happen, the next domino that could fall. Derek Carr's been in that organization a long time. Has seen a lot of coaches, has seen a lot of offensive coordinators. And we've still seen the end result is a failure to win a playoff game, which you've alluded to. At a so certain point, I guess, you have to yeah. turn your head to Derek Carr as the common denominator, the thing that has stretched across time that has been on all these teams that have fallen short and specifically fallen short in big games. I go back to a couple of years ago. I remember them getting blown out by the Jets uh, traveling in cold weather when everything was going right for them. And that's been a constant theme throughout Derek Carr's career. And I know that next year, this offseason, I should say, they have an opportunity to move off of Derek Carr for a fairly cheap price. So that's not off the table. But if you move Derek Carr, then you have to ask yourselves, what did Devontae Adams come to the Raiders to do? Play with his buddy, (laughs) Derek Carr. So you got rid of McDaniels. You got rid of Carr. Are you now trading away Devontae Adams who you just invested this draft capital in? Because that's what the Raiders are kind of on a crash course for if they like set off this chain of dominoes but it might be the best thing for them long term as an organization because you've shown that you have a clear ceiling you have a clear glass ceiling on this team (laughs) and if you can't break through it with these guys you're never going to break through it so you might as well just try and something else 
the craziest thing you can do is just doing the same thing over and over again and think you can get a different result. I think the 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 bigger conversation about what's the constant for the Raiders is more Mark Davis than it is Derek Carr, but it's not like out of the realm of conversation either. I think we start with Mark Davis and then we work our way down to Derek Carr having just a ceiling as a quarterback, which is like a tier three guy. Derek Carr is the threshold of like the roster you put around him is the performance he's going to have. It, it, when they tore everything to the ground, he was 29th in the league in QBR. And that year they had Khalil Mack it almost win MVP. He was fifth in the league in QBR. Like it's just kind of... Yeah deal with their car and, I, I guess the thing uh, i have to wonder with mark davis is it bad process bad result or is it a good process good result because i think the process makes sense to me right you have a quarterback who consistently is statistically the stats say he's great you have a coach that you hire mcdaniels who everyone's saying go hire this guy this is the type of guy that you want to hire out of all the belichick assistants he was the one that had the least red flags the people were telling you he hired McDaniel. Same with Gruden. People wanted him off TV for years. People were telling you, go after John Gruden. Maybe not paying that much, but people were selling you to go after John Gruden. It made sense to at the time. Um, Devontae Adams, you're going to tell me going after a Hall of Fame wide receiver is a bad thing? Typically, it's not. Or a Hall of Fame pass rusher in Chandler Jones? Typically, it's not. So the process is not terrible, but obviously, they're not getting the results that they asked for. Well, so if you believe in the process, then you stick with McDaniel. Like the, the idea of bailing on the process would be bailing on him after one season. If you believe in the process that you've put forward, then you stick with what you have at this point. The the difference is, I don't know if they've set the expectations too high for themselves. Because again, this is a team that on paper won seven games last year, according to the expected win-loss record stat. And is on a similar type of course this season. So you can get better players. You can improve the roster on the fly. It's just, you have to, they have their own draft pick this year. It's not like they don't have the Devon, the, the pick that they gave up for Devonte Adams. Like you can build something. It's just, do you believe in the process that you're on right now? Cause the reason I said at the very beginning before listing off all those nerd stats was I could defend the decision either way is tell me what the plan is. If the plan is we're going to fire McDaniels and just hire another guy and keep the roster the same, well, that's stupid. Like you're just trying to guess on getting who the next great prodigy coach is. But if the strategy is we're going to get rid of him and we're going to make roster changes for better or for worse, maybe that's trading the quarterback and going down in the draft a bit. Uh, maybe it's taking a quarterback this year in the draft. Maybe it's going to the free agent market like Atlanta or Seattle did. Just tell me what the plan is, and I could probably defend it. That's the thing that's more important than the decision itself. I mean, if I told you the plan was Sean Payton, and regardless of your opinion whether Sean Payton's taking the job or not, if I told you the plan was Sean Payton, is that not a better plan, do you feel? At least someone with a proven track record as being a head coach that Peyton is has. it is it Sean Payton and run it back with the same team like is it Sean Payton use the first round pick on a defensive player maybe sign some more defensive players and and run well, it back I, that I think way? that's an obvious fix right you want to fix the defense that that's fine but as far as like overall roster construction obviously if you could keep Devonte, great you may have to fix something on the offensive line I know they got some contract stuff that they'll have to work out with Josh Jacobs as well Hunter Renfro, they just extended Darren Waller and you'll want him healthy because Darren Waller signed that big contract and then went Michael Thomas with it. When it comes to Sean Payton, if he inherited this roster, do I think that he would be a needle mover at head coaches? 
opposed to McDaniels? Answer, yes. Yes. Because I've seen Sean yes. Payton do it. Because Drew Brees, I mean, we, we all love Drew Brees and think the world of him and think of him as a Hall of Fame quarterback. But his career was floundering, coming off the shoulder injury. We didn't know what was going to happen with yeah. Drew Sean Brees. Payton's going to walk into the Hall of Fame. Sean Payton is one of those like eight coaches that actually does move the needle. And we know he moves the needle because of what he can do offensive schematically. So if you told me you gave him someone with Derek Carr's skill set, because skill set wise and tangible wise, Derek Carr has things that you would want your NFL quarterback to have. He has a hell of an arm. He can make every throw. He has a little mobility, more than people give him credit for. Pocket awareness. Their car has a lot of things that you would typically attribute to a quarterback that you'd like to have on your roster. And under John Gruden, we did see him take steps in the right direction. And then we saw him take steps in the wrong direction as John Gruden got fired. And they had to move around the offense, obviously, to the Henry Ruggs incident happened to another hit to that offense last year. If I take that Derek Carr in a vacuum and give him the right coaching, give him Sean Payton's coaching, that system with the New Orleans Saints that made the New Orleans Saints one of the most exciting offenses in the National Football Leagues for over a decade, then okay, I think that that would be the right move because I think McDaniels, it's it's just clear, overrated. We've seen it twice. Same result. What's the old saying? Fool me once, shame (laughs) on you. Fool me twice, George Bush. You shouldn't be fooled again. <laughs> yes. I, I think the it. thing that we, I think the thing with McDaniel, at least from the evidence I'm seeing and the, the nerd stats I listed, but like, he's just another dude and just another dude is sometimes fine. At least it's not total instability. Like the five coaches who are about to get fired this year, like just another dude is fine. And if you believe in the guy that you hired, you will, he's, he has not done a job that merits firing, like based on the evidence he has not done a job that merits firing. But if you didn't believe in him in the first place, I understand getting rid of him at the end of the season. It's not like he's totally unfireable. And if Sean Payton is available, yeah, that's probably a good reason to move off of McDaniels. It's it's <laughs> it's a good reason to do Jim that because Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. They had that chance last year and they didn't want it. Like I I don't think that maybe I don't Jim think didn't Jim Harbaugh. want it, but Jim has another chance to go back to the college football playoffs. Maybe if the result is still the same, Jim is a little bit more open to I mean, the idea. Any Anything with the Raiders often comes down to damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because, like, I think Sean Payton will make that offense better. I don't think they'll be better than the Chiefs. They would have to make major personnel changes in order to do that. But it might make them as good as the Chargers in the year two of Sean Payton, like, if if that's the plan. But they need to make broader personnel moves because again this is like a seven eight win team on paper and they tried to get better and it hasn't worked like tough shit it hasn't worked like Chandler Jones chalked it up as an L Devontae Adams should make your offense better but he's on pace to put up 1200 yards and 10 (laughs) touchdowns and guess who had that stat line last year Hunter Renfro had that exact stat line last year so like they are the same team this year as last year and I think the ceiling on that starts at the quarterback position but goes to the broader roster at large because part of paying Derek Carr 35 million dollars a year is you can't afford any good defensive play let me ask you this question here if I told you you could have Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo who are you taking uh depends on the money no 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 I'm just telling you Jimmy Garoppolo or Derek Carr who are you taking are they making the same amount of money I don't care just answer okay. the question <laughs> well because this this, this nope, determines the situation answer, answer the question there are, there are other circumstances. You want, okay, that are you have a big game to win. Who are you taking? 
is Derek Carr and let's say Derek Carr and Jimmy Quit Garoppolo are both making around the question, man. I need, I need it. more information. No, so let's I'm if, asking okay. you right now. They're both cost zero point zero dollars. They're both, oh okay. Both, there you go. They're both free. Okay, that's a different question. If they're both free, it's a push. Just give me a coin toss. I'm fine with either. Oh if my they're, they're, god. Answer I mean, if question. you really, if you're really pinning me down, I'd go Derek Carr. But if you gave me Jimmy Garoppolo, I'd be just as just okay. as fine well, with I'll, it. I'll take it. I'll take that as answer. Okay, <laughs> if Derek Carr you believe is better than Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't. In, they're the same. They're well, the same. Jimmy, the reason I say that is because Jimmy Garoppolo can at least <laughs> get you to a Super Bowl. If Derek Carr is in theory better than him in ability, then shouldn't Derek Carr still have the ability? to do that same result so well I, would, I mean yes if you gave him the 49ers if if you flip Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo on the 49ers yeah Derek Carr would look a lot like Jimmy Garoppolo yes I do believe that he, he would have a Super Bowl appearance and an NFC championship appearance and maybe two Super Bowl appearances if you put Derek Carr on the 49ers I do believe that but okay well yeah. then that's kind of, that gives a little more context they're cool thanks all right yes i would say i would say Derek carr and jimmy garoppolo could do the same job they just Derek carr has been cursed to the hell of the las vegas raiders organization and jimmy garoppolo has been supported with the beauty of the 49ers see i might disagree with you you know if i had the same choice i might take jimmy garoppolo because i've at least seen jimmy garoppolo win play totally game. fair totally but fair they're basically my, the same the reason totally of course it. for me asking the question is to understand how good you think Derek Carr really is if he was given an ideal situation if sean payton is an ideal coach then that would transfer to turning the raiders into an ideal situation in theory vis-a-vis Derek carr would be a quarterback that you in theory could go to a super bowl with that. With a much better team, yes. So they would have to add Sean Payton plus major roster overhaul to get to a Super Bowl point, but theoretically, yes. Sean Payton is the first step on the path to to building a team that could compete with Kansas City. I mean, the, the first step is getting to the Chargers because they're still a good ways behind the Chargers. So I don't even think Sean Payton is enough to close that gap entirely to get to the Chargers. I think they would need to also make roster moves around that in order to get to that point. I don't know. I think Pete Carroll has shown the world what good coaching can do for a team. But anyway, guys, that's enough Raiders talk for me. The Slumbuster guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. So heading into the week nine buys, the San Francisco 49ers get to take a break as they just blew out in division rival Los Angeles, which is a common theme for the Niners aside from in the NFC championship game. Unfortunately, a Jaquaski heart interception is the one thing that nullifies full on ownage over the Los Angeles Rams. But nonetheless, they are four and four. They have a week of rest. They are a game behind in the division behind a Seahawks team that they do have a victory over. And if you were to break down in division, they are three and zero, so that's all positive things for the Niners. However, they didn't think they'd find themselves in a four and four struggle through the first eight weeks of the season. What are your early thoughts on the Niners as they head into the bye? In an NFC that only has one great team, the 49ers might be the next closest thing to that. And San Francisco's defense has suffered an unholy amount of injuries so far this season, and they have still continued 
to be excellent because they have not just great players and pro bowlers all over the place, but incredible depth. It's quite amazing what the 49ers have been able to pull off. And I think that San Francisco's offense is capable. I'm interested to see what Christian McCaffrey adds as an element to that team. We finally saw George Kittle get a touchdown last yeah. week. He he finally looked uh, like a receiver more than the blocking tight end that we're used to. I think first time since week 14 of last year that we were really wowed by a George Kittle performance. So it's interesting to see what San Francisco builds this thing into, but uh, I am still of the camp that they might be the second best team in the NFC in, in that group right there with Minnesota and Dallas where matchups are going to be incredibly interesting come playoff time. Uh, I don't know if San Francisco will separate themselves, but in a sport where the Eagles are the only great team in that conference, I think the 49ers are right there. And as we talked about in our previous video about the Eagles, I would love to watch the 49ers defense match up against that Philadelphia offense. You mentioned the injuries they suffered on defense. One of the reasons that this buy couldn't have come at a perfect time is that the fact that the Niners are going to get healthy when they come back from this bye week, they have Jason Verrett expected to come back off injury. They have Eric Armstead expected to come back off injury. They have Elijah Mitchell expected to come back to this team. Drake Greenlaw was nursing an injury. Aziz Alshair should be back anytime soon, so that's going to improve their linebacking core. Charvarius Ward, Mooney Ward, who was nursing a groin injury, has a, another opportunity to let that heal up a little bit more. Same goes for a guy like Trent Williams, who was playing through the after effect of a high ankle sprain, still played well, still played at a high level, but now he gets an opportunity to rest that a little bit more. And other guys that are nursing injuries now can get a chance to just let that breathe. Debo Samuel, who didn't even play against the Rams, uh, had a hamstring injury going into that game. Uh, Debo Samuel, you add him back into this offense. So you mentioned the Christian McCaffrey element. We saw the best version of the Christian McCaffrey element against the Rams. You had a rushing touchdown a passing touchdown, and a receiving touchdown, which is the first time that's happened since 2005 with Damian Tomlinson. And you think about what Christian McCaffrey is or people that he gets compared to. Uh, LT, Christian McCaffrey comp, is an appropriate comp in the history of the NFL game. Christian McCaffrey was doing everything for them. Now, with the inclusion of Debo Samuel back into this offense, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and CMC, he's not expected to do everything. Get Elijah Mitchell back. That's another back that could compliment you. Yes, you just traded away Jeff Wilson Jr., but add Elijah Mitchell back to this backfield, then you can spare Christian McCaffrey some reps that might be more grueling on his body. We've talked about a guy with an injury history. You try and limit Christian McCaffrey as much as you can. There was a sequence in the last game that I was screaming at Kyle Shanahan for with Christian McCaffrey because it's you're already up by like 20 points. Why is Christian McCaffrey taking bullshit carries up the middle into traffic? <laughs> I was a little bit pissed at Kyle for that one. That Those were easily three carries you could have gave to Jeff Wilson Jr. as you're about to trade him off to the Dolphins. But nonetheless, we move on. We move to another week. Kyle Shanahan had an interesting quote in this last press conference. Got to the podium. I have no injuries report. That's weird. That's kind of awkward. And it is kind of awkward because that has been the overlying storyline on this Niners team this entire season haven't really hit them too hard offensively aside from you look at what happened to Trey Lance and still a variable that we'll never really have an answer to this season that we'll just have to wait till next season to figure out but Jimmy Garoppolo has been playing well you some will argue this is his best season statistically some will argue this is his worst season 
It really depends. <laughs> well, it's on not as worst. It's it's not as worst. I will say that it's, there it's is not some as worst. In Bay Area Twitter, that have been arguing that Jimmy Garoppolo has been playing awful, worse than replacement level. And no, you look at the numbers. I think he's eleven <laughs> touchdowns and four interceptions on the year. There's a handful of teams right now that would be begging for that out of their quarterback situation. The Niners, for having their starting quarterback go down in the year, couldn't have had a, any softer landing spot. Uh, they bet on crypto, but they had a safety blanket, and that was Jimmy Garoppolo, and they had a soft landing because of it. Now you go into this next part of the schedule. You start looking at the games they got after the bye week. Uh, they face the Chargers. That's an opportunity to get to five and four. They have another game against the Raiders coming up. The Raiders are kind of imploding. You know, the Bucks matchup, which looked a lot more daunting early on, that's coming up. They have places in their schedule that you think that they could continue to start building more momentum coming yeah. off this bye Saints week. Saints look pretty good, right? Saints, Saints are looking the pretty Saints, good at this point. Um, but it, it's just not getting ahead of ourselves either because well, you got those two Cardinals games. The Cardinals are starting to trend in a positive direction now that they got DeAndre Hopkins back. You lose the games to the Bears. You lose the games to the Falcons. And you start to ask yourselves, can we go into any game and just automatically chalk ourselves up as the favorites? The Rams are a unique circumstance because the Rams are someone that you respect as an opponent, but yet you also understand that you match up well against them. So even though you swept them this year, I'm trying to not get too high on my expectations coming off of that victory against Los Angeles, because we talked about it in another video, but Los Angeles is a flawed team. That is a flawed roster and the Niners were more than happy to take advantage of it. And we'll see if they can, continue to do that against other flawed rosters, other flawed teams coming up on their schedule. You have the better team most weeks. Offensively, yeah. you look at the offensive skill weapons. You might have the best offensive skill weapons on a pound-for-pound -pound basis in the league. You look at the combination of players. How many other teams have better combined offensive skill weapons than the Niners? Yes, yeah, 75% of the time you should be favored in the matchup that you're playing, regardless of whether it's home or away. 75% of the time you should be a favorite in those games based on where the 49ers are. It's just what happens when they play those six or seven teams where it's not as much of a guarantee it is interesting. One point that you brought up about Christian McCaffrey and like maybe they'll start using him less in the offense per se. So uh, against the Rams, the 49ers ran 50 offensive plays or, or I should say 50 plays that ended in a net positive. So like not a sack or not a, um, a penalty 50 offensive plays. 27 of them were through Christian McCaffrey It was 18 runs and nine targets. You can count the one pass play in there as well that he threw on the trick play if you want. But for the sake of this conversation, let's say 54%, 27 out of 50 plays. Only Derrick Henry for the Titans at 57% had a higher usage percentage last week than uh, Christian McCaffrey did, which you could argue that that's an anomaly. They didn't have certain players healthy, such as uh, Elijah Mitchell. Or you could say this is the type of offense they're trying to build to. We need a larger sample size to know that answer. But it was interesting to watch that be the strategy in the first week. My my theory on that was with Debo out. Because yeah. I feel as though Christian McCaffrey essentially took over what Debo was doing for you. And particularly in the matchup against the Rams. Because we look at the Debo game plan from last year. And it was pretty much what Christian McCaffrey was giving them this year in that Rams matchup. 
uh, even down to the trick play. It was pretty much the same trick play that they dialed up for Debo to throw a passing touchdown to Jawan Jennings last year. Just <laughs> have Christian McCaffrey do it a little bit cleaner. Brandon Ayuk comes down with it clean. And you look at Brandon Ayuk's numbers the last three weeks, you really do have something special in Brandon Ayuk in developing into a number yeah. one wide receiver. Uh, with Debo, I'm intrigued to see how he gets utilized moving forward. And you have to figure Debo is going to take some of the work out of the backfield. So you're also going to have really a backfield rotation of Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, and Debo Samuel. Maybe Debo only takes three to five carries opposed to uh, the tail end of last season where it seemed like he was rushing the ball close to 10 times like a traditional running back. Now that you have a legitimate all-star, all-pro level running back in Christian Well, it makes sense why they traded for McCaffrey, right? If they want to do these things with Debo Samuel, you might as well get Christian McCaffrey, who's better and more better positioned to, you know, run that type of play. That's it's going to make it easier too. And adding a confidence element to your quarterback. So we talked about the benefits of adding a Christian McCaffrey to the Niners offense and Jimmy Garoppolo we're very, we got to be, we're honest about what he is and what he isn't. Uh, you're maybe a little bit more critical of him than I am, but I, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo has yeah. more upside than traditional, than other quarterbacks that fall in that tier three. I, we, we can agree that he's a tier three quarterback. And yet I can tell you that his ceiling on like a, a given week could put him in tier two, which is something that a lot of the tier three quarterbacks don't really have. A lot of the tier no, three quarterbacks kind of. A- uh, cruise control at tier three and never really ascend to anything more at times uh, with Christian McCaffrey. One thing that I thought that was essential in that game against the Rams is he was that nice little underneath safety blanket for Jimmy Garoppolo. When Jimmy Garoppolo was throwing to him, it just felt with a certain level of confidence. We go back to his receiving touchdown uh, where he stretches out for it. Jimmy Garoppolo buys time, rolls out of the pocket, looks, 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 Oh wait, there's Christian McCaffrey. And he has the confidence to throw to that guy. And that's maybe adding in what type of athlete the Christian McCaffrey is, that he's a capable wide receiver out there playing the running back position, building that confidence for your quarterback and getting a playmaker like Christian McCaffrey is something that the Niners could build on. And if you're Kyle Shanahan, and I'm going to hold off on calling Kyle a genius, like so often people do when talking about him but I will give him the credit that he is a creative playmaker at times. Well, you have the type of pieces that you can get creative with. Now there's no player in the NFL quite like Christian McCaffrey. There's no player quite like Debo Samuel and there's no player quite like George Kittle. They're all unicorns in respective ways at their position. Well, you have three. I think you... Kittle used to be. I think Kittle used to be. I'm not so sure about Kittle anymore. But yes, I think just your because point is we correct. haven't seen him make the type of plays that he was making in 2018, the one-handed breakaway 80-yard touchdowns. I don't think that that's not still available. I think they've just had to use him more as a blocker because of the deficiencies that they have on the offensive line, particularly at the right tackle position. Mike McGlinchey continues to be a huge problem that the Niners will have to address. I know they already didn't pick up the fifth-year option. They already don't feel great about Mike McGlinchey as a whole, but unfortunately, there's not a lot of other alternatives at the right tackle position or a lot of recourse for the Niners who don't have a high-round draft pick to really use on that position. They just kind of have to make do with a guy that will occasionally just let an edge defender just run past him. It's crazy. He literally, he sets. He, he set ready to block no one. Then air. <laughs> And meanwhile, the defender just free shot at Jimmy Garoppolo. 
And maybe that's scheming. Maybe there was a miscommunication. No, that's the not offensive scheming. Well, well, I mean, that's maybe scheming. that's that's a dude messing up. <laughs> a miss. Well, I was gonna give him a little bit of an excuse, and maybe there was a miscommunication on the play. He was thinking the play was going to be built towards somewhere else. He's just looking in the wrong direction entirely. Well, the defender okay. just, <laughs> that's what I mean by that. Um, but either way, that's great. nonetheless, Mike McGlinchey is a problem for them on the right tackle position. And that's my one hole on the Niners offense that I could really pick apart because Jimmy Garoppolo, again, is going to be a lot of, an easy target for a lot of people when they talk about the shortcomings of this offense. The right tackle position is more concerning to me. So for Garoppolo, I said at the start of the season, I said with Trey Lance, if Trey Lance gives you rookie year Baker Mayfield numbers, which is 65% completion percentage, 28 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. If he gives you that, you're going to be a Super Bowl contender, but you're expecting that he'll build into something more or you come in and you're amazed by how great Trey Lance plays. Jimmy Garoppolo, if you take away the two games to start the season, so you you know shrink the sample size a little bit, that would be basically you need 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions is what you need from Garoppolo and complete 65% of your passes. Well, so far this year, Garoppolo has completed 66% of his passes, is on pace to finish the season with 26 touchdowns, and is on pace to finish the season with 10 interceptions. So he's playing slightly better than the numbers that I set out for Trey Lance in order to have the 49ers become a Super Bowl caliber team as long as their defense is healthy. And now that you add Christian McCaffrey, the math changes on that offense. I, I see no evidence that says San Francisco can't be a very, very good team, even with the deficiencies on the right side of the offensive line. Money might be able to solve that one in the offseason. I'm not sure, but money might be able to solve that one a little bit. But the 49ers might have deficiencies there. And I know we talked about 2019 Kittle and 2018 Kittle, but like even last year before the injury, I saw Kittle have a two game stretch where he had 23 catches for 237 yards and four touched, I think three touchdowns well, and okay. it just there, hasn't been that. In there was 14 the game. Games. See, I, I think it's just more. So you got to consider this when you add all these offensive pieces, you have to diversify where those targets go. And the Niners know that they have something special with Kittle as a blocker. You're going to use that as a strength of your offense. You know, if you can use yeah. him and Kyle Juszczyk to get out in front of people. And as fun as it would be to see George Kittle catch 10 receptions a game, you have 25 attempts passing a game, right? You're going to see yeah. eight of eight to 10 of those go to IU. You're probably going to see close to that same amount go to Debo. And then it just the pie gets reduced for a guy like George Kittle. If George Kittle was playing in the Chiefs offense, for argument's sake, he would probably be putting up numbers more in line with what you would like from like someone of his ability. It's just the way that yeah. he's schemed in this offense. You are correct. It's just the thing that made George Kittle special. Because the reason I brought that up is because you were talking about like McCaffrey is special. Debo Samuel is special. Trent Williams is special. Kittle is special. The thing that made Kittle special was his ability to catch and block at top levels. And that's why he's going to probably make the Hall of Fame. If he's doing yeah. only one of those things, it just makes him less special and well, less valuable. Here's the thing. If you're an opposing defensive coordinator, you still have to plan around George Kittle as if he can burn you on one of those deep posts or those large crossing routes or those play actions downfield. So the fact that you still have to plan for him because the ability is still there is the type of stuff that keeps defensive coordinators up at night. 
now that you have to factor in Christian McCaffrey with George Kittle, with Devo Samuel, with Brandon Ayuk, that's a problem. I don't care if you're Bill Parcell, right? Bill Belichick. <laughs> you yeah. still can only, and part of those guys, part of their genius is we're going to take away the best player on your opposing team, right? Well, that's a bit harder to do when you can argue that there's four best players on the San Francisco 49ers team. And that's why the 49ers are, are a very good team so far this year, because they're built on an elite defense and have a very, very capable offense. I just the only argument I have to Kittle is that it makes him not special. It makes him very good. It just makes him not special if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. <laughs> and I know you don't have to get the ball in your yeah. hands to make an impact. But the thing that made George Kittle a Hall of Famer is that he was able to do both at very high levels in the past. See, eventually we're getting to the point where the PFF guys are in charge of the Hall of Fame and we'll just have George Kittle in there anyway because he's going to go. George Kittle should sheets. make the Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm not against that. George Kittle absolutely should have a case for making the Hall of Fame, even based on the short career that he's had. So, I mean, the short career of being elite, like five years is the peak of George Kittle's yeah. career. But and I hate I, I hate to say it might be a short career in general, just given the injuries. Yeah, but I mean, if he plays 10 seasons, I think we could be having a talk about George Kittle in the Hall of Fame. I don't think it's out of the question, but I, I just think it makes him less valuable the way that the 49ers are using him, which isn't yeah. a bad thing. Like, he's still a very good player. It just he's not means gonna be, the 49ers aren't going to have an elite He's offense. not going to be the guy that fills up the counting stats, and that will just be one of those things that we'll have to have a different way of evaluating because the pancake blocks aren't going to be evaluated in the same way that the ADR touchdowns are going to be evaluated. But it's, but it's not like he's adding new value in the blocking. He's just doing the thing he was always great there at. There was a and... stat though that the Niners were averaging seven yards per rush on rushes designed to George Kittle's side of the field. So when you mm -hmm. factor it in that stuff, and that's kind of a math that kind of is hard to really quantify Blocking is difficult to quantify. You are correct. <laughs> yeah, that that all still adds to a special player. And it, an offense that, again, is just ultimately hard to game plan against. The Niners are set up well. They're, they're set up where they, well, I'm going to say they're not set up where they want to be. Where they want to be is probably something more like a, Five and yeah, three, but but if you flip if you record. flip the Bears result, then they're five and three, and it looks the, a lot better. The than problem four is four. we can't do that. You know, we can't flip the Bears result. The Bears result is what the Bears result was. And now starts the final quarter. Buckle up, buckle up. This is the Slumbuster Podcast. Kyle, I'm about to test one of your core beliefs. Now you've told me time after time after time on this program that if your team is going to be bad, you might as well start the young guy. If your offense is going to be bad anyway, you might as well start the young guy. How does that apply to the Green Bay Packers? Oh, I, that was not where I thought you were going. Okay. <laughs> How does that apply to the Packers? Uh, don't pay your quarterback $200 million and, and then decide that you want to go to the young guy. I still don't understand why Jordan Love is still on the Packers if Aaron Rodgers is going to be the quarterback for the next two years of the Packers. But I guess they, he didn't have any value. So he, he served some better as a backup quarterback than he does getting traded for a fifth round pick to Washington. So to clarify, you're saying that if this season gets any worse because I couldn't imagine a game any worse than losing to the Lions, losing to the Lions that had the 32nd ranked defense in football. The Lions were allowing over 32 points a game. The next closest was like 28 or something like that. That's how bad yeah. the Lions defense were. And 
they scored one touchdown. So you're saying that no matter how bad it gets, that's not on the table. Yeah, I think so. Because you know what the stupidest thing about this whole thing was? Prior to last week, Aaron Rodgers was still going to make the Pro Bowl in the NFC. And that's more an indictment of the NFC doesn't have enough good quarterbacks. But after Jalen Hurts and Geno Smith, Aaron Rodgers was somehow the third best quarterback in the NFC prior to last week. It's just been an abomination of a season for NFC quarterback play and NFC offense in general. Because God, I think like, God, is it going to be Kirk Cousins in the Pro Bowl? I mean, God damn, like I think Aaron Rodgers still might make the Pro Bowl at this point, even though he threw three interceptions and had the abomination of the game he had against the Lions. You know, it is kind of crazy. You actually do look at his stats and you could convince yourself in a way, well, okay, two to one touchdown interception ratio, 14 and seven. That's not too bad, right? But the truth of the matter is when you actually watch the games, when you actually put the eye test to it, this Packers offense is awful and it's not going to get any better because they had injuries to David Bakhtiari. What's new? Always injuries to David Bakhtiari. And then that wide receiving core, uh, the young guy, Christian Watson, Dobbs, Dobbs is out. Romeo Dobbs, weeks. you know, he's hurt and seriously hurt. He got to be carted off in this last game. So he's Aaron probably not Jones back. left in a walking boot. Sammy Watkins is consistently hurt. So who knows if he, how much longer he's got till the annual Sammy Watkins injury rolls out. Apparently Randall Cobb's still out there. I haven't seen him in weeks. So I don't even know what's there to fix with the Packers. They're significantly worse than the Minnesota Vikings. And for anyone that's holding out hope that this team is going to make a desperation playoff run, they're three and six now. And have you looked at the rest of their schedule? Because this week they get the Cowboys and the Cowboys aren't going to be easy when they're coming off by week. Then they get the Eagles at some point later in the year. And hell, I mean, at this point, if you go lose to the Lions, it's not like you can't just lose to anyone. The Chicago Bears the are trending in the right direction. The Bears not might just, get you. Not just the Lions. It is. Losing to the Giants when you had a 17-point lead. Losing to the Commanders. Losing to Detroit. Uh, you know how Aaron Rodgers' favorite phrase is R-E-L-A-X from a few years ago? I got a new one. It's O-V-E-R. It's over for the Packers. They are not making the playoffs this year because added to all those injuries is the fact that, man, that defense has really, really regressed. Man, that defense is not good for the Packers. But let's, let's not focus on the defense here because the defense, they allowed 15 points against, say what you want about the Detroit Lions, but one of the highest scoring offenses in the National Football League. The Lions have been putting up 30 points at will, even if it is mostly garbage time. This defense held them to 15 points. And 15 points, when Aaron Rodgers is your starting quarterback, should be enough to win you most games, if not all the games. If you told me going into the year that the Green Bay Packers defense was going to allow 15 points a game or something along those lines, I would have told you that the Packers are going to another 13 and three, 14 and three season. But no, this year couldn't have gone any worse. You mentioned the losses they have. That equates to a five game losing streak currently for the Packers. Obviously, all these career highs or career lows, I should say, for Rodgers are coming out. And it does bring on the question of the future. Now, I mentioned the start Jordan Love movement. Now, that has picked up a lot of traction <laughs> the last few weeks. And it's mostly because Packers fans just kind of want to see what they have. You, you talk about the Trey Lance stuff. We go back and forth with the Trey Lance stuff all the time. You got to want to see what you have. You mentioned why was he still on this roster at this point? I mean, he's a first-round pick. You know, you invested the draft capital. You traded up to get him. He's better on your roster than he is on someone else's roster if he's going to be a backup quarterback. But the reason why people are questioning even putting him in is 
you're essentially getting backup quarterback production from your starting quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. It's easy to make up all the excuses, like the wide receiving core being bad or the defense being porous at times. But Aaron Rodgers himself is not doing himself any favors. He looks mediocre out there. He looks kind of like that 2019 season where it was the Mike McCarthy's final year and everyone questioned whether Aaron Rodgers still had it. Obviously, he broke off the two consecutive years of being an MVP, but still, it was a rightful thing for people to question whether Aaron Rodgers still had the ability, and he proved everyone wrong, but now I don't even know. I have a hard time, even if I compare this 2019, he doesn't look the same. He just really doesn't to me. Well, and neither does the Packers roster. So I think it was two or three weeks ago, we did a Packers video and we were talking about, is it Aaron Rodgers or is it the receiving core and the weapons problem? And the answer is yes to both of those. Like that's kind of been consistent. And I think both are true even more so now when you subtract Romeo Dobbs and you subtract basically Aaron Jones at this point and you subtract Randall Cobb, it, it's just going to be a, a death spiral at this point for a season that's already lost for Green Bay. I think the bigger issue with the production you are getting from Aaron Rodgers is when you pay a quarterback that level of contract, you're saying they're the type of quarterback that can elevate lesser talent. And mm-hmm. that's been the tried and true conversation of debate with the Packers is like, well, you have Aaron Rodgers. Shouldn't he be able to lift people up? If you're going to pay a quarterback $50 million a year, shouldn't they be the type of quarterback that's elevating performance of a guy like Dobbs of a guy like Watson Sammy Watkins all these lesser wide receivers and we've seen Aaron Rodgers obviously do that in his career Jordy Nelson who knows how good Jordy Nelson was in retrospect he had one decent year with the Raiders but his Packers career was amazing was that a product of being with Rodgers we talk about latter years of Greg Jennings Donald Driver and then of course the elevation of Devontae Adams now Devontae Adams of course is knocking on Canton himself But it took some time for that relationship to really develop. And Aaron Rodgers may have made Devontae great over the course of playing with him. And now I I just don't see that level of effort to get these younger guys up to that level. Maybe they're just that bad, but it's hard for me to distinguish because there was a lot of young wide receivers that kind of went in and out of that Packers locker room. I go back to MVS or Equinemius St. Brown, these guys that the (laughs) Packers tried to draft and tried to, uh, integrate into their locker room in hopes that Aaron Rodgers would make them better. And they never really became anything. Uh, even was it Amari Rodgers too, is still hanging around there, a guy they drafted a couple of years back. And I never, <laughs> you mean their number on one him. receiver now, their number one receiver now that everyone's out Amari Rodgers. Could have fooled me. I never hear his name on game days. AJ <laughs> Dillon's taking a big step back, losing Aaron Jones. Like it's going to get worse again, yeah, but if the it's season's gonna get lost worse, at this point. Yeah. What's even the point of throwing him out there, especially because, is he going to retire? Is he going to demand a tr- another trade this offseason? Obviously, he signed no, the extension, it, so is his leverage all gone? It would seem no, like it's there, gone. There's no chance. There's no chance. So basically, if you see his contract breakdown, it's a $100 million dead cap hit this offseason. He's going to be the Packers quarterback next year. The year after that, it's only a $24 million dead cap hit with 40 something million guaranteed, but they can restructure it down to like $29 million or something. But so, in the past, he's shown a willingness to make it ugly make it publicly ugly. Yeah. I, I we think talk that about we're this all the time that. with the NBA. Are yeah. we? Because now I'm starting I think to so, even because, more pissed off. I think so because he wouldn't have signed the extension if not. If you've listened to him talk about in between talking about ayahuasca and all sorts of other stuff, like he has said like, yeah, I sat down with the organization. We t- hashed it out and 
uh, ultimately came to an understanding that also included a $50 million contract extension. He wasn't going to get anywhere else, but I don't think he thought they were going to be this bad. No, but he also has no options anymore. (laughs) He has no options anymore. At this point, he signed that contract that will tie him to the team for two (laughs) years and then after those two years, the Packers kind of determine his fate more than now. He hear does. me out. I'll mention this trade one more time on this show. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, make it happen. Flip flop. Trade everyone else's <laughs> problems for each other. <laughs> it's it's fun. It's fun in practicality, but not possible in hindsight. And also, Aaron Rodgers might make the Pro Bowl this year because three have to make it from the NFC, but the eight of the ten best quarterbacks are in the AFC. So you know what? Aaron Rodgers still might end up making a Pro Bowl this okay, year. Okay, but that's fine and good. And you know, we'll look great on his football reference page when we're quantifying yeah. his career, but it will feel very Mitch Trubisky-esque. Yeah, pretty much. This is a, he's basically playing like a league average quarterback. Which is crazy. I'm comparing Aaron Rodgers here in 2022 to Mitch Trubisky. I mean, yeah, but 2019 Tom Brady also had a worse statistical season than Mitch Trubisky. Like Mitch had one good season where he was a league average quarterback. That's what Aaron Rodgers is this year. He is a league average quarterback. Former Pro Bowl or Mitch Trubisky. You gain love here on the slump buster at the expense of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Who'd have thought? Actually, he's got a win against Tom Brady, so. I guess transference. Was that was that him or was it Pickett this year? Did he it get the Trubisky win against? It was that played. It was okay. Technically, I want to say that was a game that Pickett started, but got hurt, and Trubisky came in and you know had one of those yeah, freaky yeah. backup quarterback moments and got them the victory. Tells you how far the Bucks are. This is just a weird year for football in general. But Aaron Rodgers and the Packers certainly have not looked the better for it. You know, it's okay, this. Over. this this it, it is I, I'm sorry Packers fans I know you had so much expectations for this year but it's clear the Vikings are so much better than you this year they showed that in week one they've continued to show it they have way better pieces and you know it and then we look around the NFC and as much as there is a bunch of mediocre teams you've also lost to all the mediocre teams in the conference <laughs> so what does that say about you but the Packers went all in on the last two seasons. Like, remember, going into this offseason, they were $58 million over the cap. They were $58 million over the cap. This and is the, the remnants of going all in the, the last two years. And the fun part about that, the fun part about going all in in that respect is you still didn't win a championship. And you're the B version of the Los Angeles Rams, who at least when they go all in, they at least were able to come down with some hardware. Hate that as a Niners fan, but at least they did. At least they they yeah. made those splashy moves. They got the Von Millers. They got the OBJs. Again, I know that's a point of contention for Packers fans. We've also had rumors this week that at the deadline, the Packers offered picks for DJ Moore. They offered picks for Claypool. They were trying to make some deadline action happen. I'm sure that Gudikins wanted to put that out there after fans were like, why did we do anything? Gudikins had to make it a point to say, hey, we try to make trades. No one wanted to trade with us. And I understand it from the... Uh, Steelers perspective it's okay you want to trade with the Bears or you want to trade with the Packers who's more likely to have a better draft pick the ironic part is the way the Bears are trending <laughs> there might be an opportunity for the Bears to have a better record than the Packers <laughs> who knows yeah for those who don't know Claypool the Packers offered a second the Bears offered a second the Steelers bet on the Bears second being higher than the Packers second and uh, it, it might end up coming true but way closer than we thought it was going to be it's way a way co- closer race than we it thought. might be the difference between the seventh or eighth pick in the second round that's what it might turn into 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of wild to think about in that context because, I mean, look, that wasn't going to fix all their problems. It was just a des- It would have been a desperation no, move, and they have all Chase, these extra picks. If Chase Claypool is fixing all your problems, you were a lot closer than you projected, but I don't think the Packers are all that close when I really no. think about how their team has performed this year and really have thought about the effort this team has had. I know LaFleur is feeling like he's on the hot seat, or at least it's getting a little sweaty under the collar. I I just don't know what the recourse is if they decided to move off LaFleur because he seemed like, at least at the start there, the best thing for Aaron Rodgers' career because we obviously talk about the two MVPs. Was it the re-motivation for love? Is Aaron Rodgers fat and happy after signing that contract? That's something I think Packers fans- No, he looks absolutely bleeping miserable he looks so miserable out there and uh, I will have to say like they posted the last dance images he was supposed to go Adams was supposed to go Tunyon was supposed to go they were supposed to clear house the same way the Saints just did where Breeze left and Sean Payton retired and they left the remnants of the the tire fire they spent all that money on they left the remnants for someone else to clean up that's what was supposed to happen and Aaron Rodgers came back and now he gets to be there as the whole thing implodes in front of his face so no jordan love if they lose to the cowboys i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna tank might as well if this is a tanking season then like whatever (laughs) at at that point who cares what if jordan love comes in and is amazing i i don't see it happening but what if that happened would that be funny Uh, that would be goddamn hilarious because they draft this is what they wanted to do in the first place and then Rodgers won two MVPs and blew up their entire plan I think Jordan Love would have been set up to fail either way but it would be really funny if he comes in and starts playing well but now I, I know you're not happen. a big TV watcher but the show Curb Your Enthusiasm gives me life and there's a season in which Larry David literally starts a coffee shop out of spite I feel as though Aaron Rodgers MVP performances are sheerly out of spite This man just drives and lives purely off of that, injected into his veins. And I feel as though now that he doesn't have that anymore, then we're seeing the remnants of what lefts. We're seeing the husk of Aaron Rodgers without the spike drive. Yes and no, because it's also like, don't look. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Don't look behind the curtain at giving up 24 points to the Patriots. Don't look behind the curtain at 23 to Washington, 27 to the Giants. But you also gain... (laughs) outplayed by Bailey Zappi because if you're compared their yardage and their statistics yeah. you're getting outplayed by Jared Goff you're getting outplayed by Taylor Heineke that's not a good look <laughs> yeah but if they had a good defense they would be five and four and people wouldn't be freaking out the same way they did it's it's masking problems of like their offense is average and their defense is bad and their season is over because now everyone's getting hurt like it's I just I would say if they had a good defense they might have one more victory I don't see even above 500 at this point because the offense is so bad again they put up one touchdown against the worst defense uh historically trending towards historically bad defense in the Detroit Lions and the poorest unit that they put together so we all talk about bad defenses the Detroit Lions fit the bill of bad defenses and the Packers yeah. couldn't do not a zilch zippo i don't know they were they were like five yards away from still beating the giants they were like almost beating the commanders like yes, maybe they win a couple of those but for like them. aaron Rodgers and lafleur and all that could say we were five yards away from beating the giants 
Let's put that on the board for the off season. It's so bad. It's so bad. And also there's no recourse to fix it either. Cause the problem is roster, but they knew this was going to be a problem in the first place. They just didn't think it would be as much of a tire fire as it's been this season. Cause how does it, how do they go from being the third ranked defense in the league to the 28th ranked defense in the league? Like, how is that even the possible? Darius Smith who happens to go to Minnesota <laughs> and just sticks it to them. It's, it's almost week. as if, it's almost as if Devondre Campbell making the Pro Bowl and uh, what was his name? Rasul Douglas being all pro were like shocking one-time solutions to problems that were bigger than them. I just, oof, it, everything has been crazy in Green Bay. If you want to play Jordan Love, who cares? The season's over at this point. Maybe you tank for a top draft pick and get a, a top offensive lineman or something. I That's going to be the thumbnail. Should they start Jordan Love? If you were coming here just for that question, your answer who cares? You're welcome, Packers fans. Enjoy. Yeah, who gives a shit? <laughs>